Welcome to the show. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and in this bonus episode, I am interviewed on the We Are Crayons podcast with Dano McNichol. I really want to thank Dano for the work he does for the creatives in Trinidad and Tobago. I also want to thank him for giving me the opportunity to tell my story one more time. So without further ado, take it away, Dano. This is We Are Crayons, the podcast. Our guest this evening is an investment banker with over 10 years experience. He's also the producer and host of Caribbean Power Lunch podcast, an interview series featuring black entrepreneurs. Welcome, Kevin Valley. Hey, thanks, Dano. Thanks for having me on. Listen, I know you you like to prep your guests. I see <laughs> your intake form had about 20 questions. I'm sorry I didn't answer them. No you know, but I'm glad you, you know, you came to the cabin studios to record this. Yes, I feel man. I feel like a celebrity right now having you in the cabin <laughs> studios. I feel I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good, Dan. I'm looking forward to this. And I like your intro. Let's go. Nice, nice. All right, Kevin. So let's I like to start by finding out who Kevin is and for me to be able to do that, I want to know where you started. So can you give me a little background on like your childhood, how you grew up, that type of thing? I grew up in Glencoe, Trinidad. My dad was a politician, a, you know, a very famous politician and everything, a lot of power and all that. So that's, there's that big personality and everything. I am my mother's youngest child. So I also have some older siblings involved in finance and everything. And my dad, my dad was a minister in the Ministry of Finance. But what happened is that, let's say at the kitchen table and everything, you see they, everybody will talk in finance, everybody talking anything, but I'm a little child, right? I don't know anything. So I'm just there at the table, I'm quiet. But I'm so curious, I'm still listening, mm-hmm. right? I still have questions swarming in my mind. I was listening to these people, but I, like, I don't actually have anything to contribute just yet. So I'm just, I actually grew up very shy, and it's very hard for people to believe. I'm very, very shy. I, I like I refer to myself as a extroverted introvert or introverted extrovert. I don't know which which way it goes, but but yeah, I grew up really quiet, kind of just absorbing what was going on around me and just having all these questions in my mind. So I guess now that being an investment banker, that is where the, the influence stemmed from as a child, and subconsciously. You got into it. So in terms of secondary school, so is that something that you studied or, or made a decision? How did you make that decision to be to actually get into the finance? All right. So I'll tell you, I actually wanted to be a psychologist. Mm. Again, I've always had this curiosity about me. I'm always wondering, so why did this person do this? Why is this person saying this? What are they trying to get? You know, I always had these questions forming in my mind. But you can't ask, you can't ask all these questions because it's like, Dude, you're being annoying. <laughs> you're asking too many questions, right? Thank God I have an interview show now. I can ask right. all the questions I want. <laughs> but yes, I always wanted to study psychology. But in school, I, I was never a fan of history too much. I mean, I did a little bit of literature or whatever, but you know, I wasn't too enthused by that. So I did mainly business subjects. Again, I guess I was kind of naturally following the path of my, my older siblings and my dad and everything. And by the time I was applying to, to UE, I said, okay, I want to do psychology. And then I got a letter from them. My acceptance letter said, you've been accepted to register for banking and finance. So I was confused. Like, do you mean I get a bank account in Jamaica? I mean, that'll be nice. When I got there, they said, no, you are going to do your BSc in banking and finance. 
was like, well, can I switch? You know, so I spent a lot of time talking to people like, should I, should I switch? Should I stay in banking and finance? People say, hey, Kevin, boy, how do money in psychology, boy? Stay in banking and finance. So I stayed and well, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the question then lies is, um, did you find the money? <laughs> oh, I'm still looking for the money. <laughs> I'm still looking for the money, right? I help other people find the money. Right. You know, other people find lots of money right. with my help, but um, I'm still looking for it for myself. <laughs> I hear that. But I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. In terms of going through your studies, um, you studied at UWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What type of challenges did you encounter? Seeing that that wasn't your first love, how were you able to make that switch and kind of like fall in love with finance? Right. You have to make it solve the purpose that you're trying to solve, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, why I wanted to study psychology other than being curious is because I wanted to be able to help people. I thought, humble me, I thought I had some sort of ability to understand people. I guess we'll spend all that time listening to other people. And be able to give advice based on same, right? With finance now, you're solving those kind of economic problems for people, helping businesses get bigger, you know, just because of that technical knowledge that, that you build. So for me, that was kind of my motivation for it. And did you have to overcome anything that you felt that, you know what, this thing not really working out? Yeah. I wasn't always the top students in class, I won't, I won't lie to you. I get easily distracted. Like right now, I'm just trying to focus on your question. <laughs> I, I get easily distracted right. and everything. And I get a lot of anxiety when it comes to taking exams. Mm. So I love to learn. I hate taking exams. But how important is growth for you? Because you say you love to learn. So how important is that for you? Yeah, it's all about lifelong learning, right? And again, that's why I like to do the podcast. Because when I talk to people, I learn from them. That interaction, and I said this before, when... I get a good interview, a good conversation going with somebody. I go to bed with a high. That learning gives me that high. It's like power. It's like endorphins. Right. So tell me then, at this point, what would you say has been probably one of the most profound things you have learned over the period, whether it's doing the podcast or just, you know, in life at this point in time? I learned that I could actually be creative. I never thought of myself as somebody creative. So let's go back to secondary school, right? Mm-hmm. Art. I don't think I could draw a stick man properly. <laughs> you know? Same. Serious. Same. Okay, well, there you go. All right. So, you know, Same. we're going to be like kindred yeah. spirits right now. Yeah. You know, so I never really thought of myself as creative. I, I can't sing. I can't dance. If I could, I would never step foot in a bank. I promise you that because I love to sing and dance and people do not love to hear me sing. <laughs> but... It is all about motivation, right? Mm. So again, I really wanted to get this platform out. So I had to figure out how to edit, what kind of equipment to get. And you know, I spent hours researching all of that, you know, and then there's preparing for the guests and everything like that. So you have to structure how you want the interview to go, right? So, I mean, some people do interviews all prep, <laughs> but as much as possible, like, I don't like to ask questions that I don't really know the answer to, mm. you know, but also, I mean, I enjoy the... I enjoyed the right, so where the story could go and then the way it could pivot from that and everything. You know, it's really, to me, I look at interviewing as a art more than a science. So tell me, what does creativity mean to you? It's all about impact, mm-hmm. right? So it's how you take your originality. Now, your originality doesn't mean you have to reinvent the wheel, right? 
I think the best ideas come from people who take their inspiration from a, a variety of different places, right? So for instance, for me, learning how to interview, I might just watch one person, you know, I might watch, okay, I might, there's David Leno, there's David Letterman, this podcast I like to listen to, Jordan Harbinger or Carl Fussman or Dano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But I want to mix that all together and say, right. let's put Kevin Spin on this. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think creativity is really just blending everything you know, adding your little essence to it, and then kind of structuring that to create the product you want to create, to create the solution you want to create. Right. So in doing finance and being able to provide those solutions, do you find yourself using creative skills, not in the traditional sense, which is why I wanted to have you on the show? Mm -hmm. Um, Because for me, it's making money takes some creativity. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still trying to get creative enough to do that. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do you infuse what you do on a daily basis using creativity? So my previous roles would involve a lot of research. So research into companies and everything. So I think I use that research skills when I research my guests before I have them on the show mm-hmm. in terms of hmm, creating financial solutions. So, I mean, it's a lot of math. Finance is also very relationship-based, especially my current role where I partner with other bankers to finance deals. Right. So it's as much about the research as it is about the relationships, you know? So it's about the technical and the relationships, the hard side and the hard skills and the soft skills. Right. And those soft skills, is it something that you had to learn or is that something that is innate? That's a good question. And you know, a good question is a hard question. (laughs) Right. I think it's a blend of both. So your innate skills is really a product of your environment. Mm -hmm. I came from a family of quite charismatic people. Although, I mean, I was I was a young child growing up, um, shy child or, or what have you. But being around that, it rubs off in you at some point. And I guess when I grew up enough to where I was comfortable in my own skin, you know, when I became self-aware of who I am and and just became to accept, hey, this, I'm good at this, I'm not good at this, whatever. And when you can be comfortable in your own skin, people realize that, you know, and you're comfortable talking to other people and it doesn't really, you don't really feel like, oh my God, what they will think about me, you know, what have you. You're just able to just be your best self. And when you at your best, then you're able to add most value to other people. When in that plain video where they tell you, okay, put on your mask before you see about anybody else. You got to put your mask on first. Right. Otherwise, you're useless to anybody else. So how did you become self-aware then? What, were there tools? Were there influences? For me, it's very important to be mm-hmm. self-aware. That's the only way I think you could actually grow and become that person or whatever it is that the world needs, not necessarily for yourself, but like you said, you're able to then give yourself to, to other people or lend or serve. So I think that's important. So how did you get to that point? You really see who you are at your the most difficult times. So I would have gone through a lot of difficult times in my life, especially, okay, so I had a, a girlfriend in Yui. She actually died like months before she was able to graduate here. It was a really mm. tragic incident. 
in that time period, so she she passed away in September 2009. Between then and May 2011, I lost her, I lost both of my grandmothers, and I lost my father. So, you know, at times like that, you you sit down and you say, well, what is this life really, you know? That's when you realize who you are, how strong you are, what you're about. And I think it's like at that point when she passed away is that when I really start to become who I am. Okay, I realize, hey, I just, I like to joke. So although I'm, I'm a banker, so I don't enjoy being that stiff person. I'm not going to be a stiff person just because you feel like you should be a stiff person. Like, oh, I'm talking to you normally, man, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, I'm in a meeting. Yeah, I think it's times like that when you realize who you really are and what you have to do to be able to continue. Otherwise, you just sit on home and just do nothing. So in terms of getting over some of those tough times, were there any techniques you used? For me, it's like there has to be clues of overcoming like, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty or whatever. So looking back now, can you pinpoint like, yeah, I did this thing, I did that, and I did this. And that helped move me forward. When my ex-girlfriend passed, she was 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. Her birthday was in December, so she would have been right. like a 21 or 22 in December. It's when I realized that life is really, really short. And, you know, people take a lot of things for granted. So like, one thing I don't like to hear people say is like, hey, I don't celebrate birthdays. To me, I'm like, are you crazy? Hmm. You made it another year in this life. You know, five people just died yesterday that we know about. You gain perspective. Right. But what are we really here for? And you start to think about your time here is short. Let's do something that adds value to somebody else. If that's what you're into or, yeah. or yourself. Yeah, got you. So let's talk about your role in finance. Can you explain to me what does an investment banker really do? Okay, so I work at um, KCL Capital Market Brokers. Well, we are a boutique investment bank, right? So we face mainly small and medium-sized companies, growth companies. And what we do is we help them get financing to start, grow, save, restructure their businesses, expand their businesses, you know? So and how we do that, we go to our investor clients, and raise the funding for them, you know? So we'll structure deals just to make sure that the risks are mitigated for the investors while the deal adds a lot of value for the borrowers or what have you. Okay. So then in terms of communicating and bargaining, how important is that in what you do and how do you navigate those conversations? For me, it's really about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. And again, it's, it's about relationships. Like relationships are your best assets. If I go broke tomorrow, I'll look at my relationships to help me pull out. You know, I'll say, okay, all right. Um, what can I offer to Dano in order to get a free something like that? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's really about building a relationship first. Because once you reach at a certain level, everybody thinks you know what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe in some level of variability, but everybody knows what they're doing. But it's really, can I trust this person? Do I like this person? Do I want to do business with this person? Mm-hmm. To me, that's the biggest thing right there. Other than the technicals. I mean, everybody can learn the technical. That's and good, right? and be, AI is coming just now. Right. So just now the technical will become a mute point. Right. How much technology is involved in what you do on a daily right now? At work? Yeah. 
it will use our, our laptops and everything. <laughs> our CEO, my my brother, he loves to um, communicate via WhatsApp. Right. We also use, uh, you know, the Microsoft and all of that. Mm. In terms of advanced technology, like when you say high tech, what do you mean? I mean, you, you mentioned AI. So mm-hmm. I was wondering, you know, like I watching TV or movies, you have these pieces of software that people build to help track stocks and right, all right. that kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, well, now we're not, we don't use too much of that. Right. You know, we're still very much Microsoft Excel and Microsoft Word. Right. You know, we might, we might start to use some more products soon, but... um. They're not too techie. Right. Got you. Got you. So let's talk about your podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. So why did you want to start podcast? At first, I wasn't even sure I wanted to start a podcast. I used to listen to this podcast called um, Side Hustle. Mm-hmm. Right? Every day, they give you like a 10-minute story of somebody who started a side hustle, what they did, and you and the success that they're able to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. While maintaining a, a full-time job. I say, hey, this is really interesting, right? So I'll keep listening on. And sometimes you hear stories that sound relatable to you or what, you, what you're interested in or, what, or whatever. And along that time, Anthony Bourdain, the world, the traveling chef, right? He had a show in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. He was with the Syrian community and they said that they are less than 1% of the population, but they control all the wealth, right? And... I saw nothing wrong with that. It was true. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, most people took to Facebook and they were upset about that. And to me, like, hey, there's a gap right there. It's like, nobody's really promoting what's happening in the black community. Right? Because I thought about all the other communities. They see, right here in Cabin Studios, the Chinese Association is about five minutes down the road. Mm-hmm. The East Indian community. So I used to work down in South and uh, so where most of our clients would be South and Central, where most of the Eastern community live. And I would be in my office and a client and his daughter, his 10-year-old daughter would come to the meeting with me to talk about financing. 10 years old, right? And you know, you'll make a joke with her and say, so you're going to take up the business soon? Yeah, hopefully. And, but that's real talk. Yep. That's real talk. So you see there's a succession planning. There's that mindset. When you look at the black community, everybody's more individualistic. Everybody's like, okay, either I got educated and I got this management job at, at this company, at this bank, at this whatever. Or they want to kind of separate themselves from the guys, let's say, in the depressed areas who commit crimes and everything, but they're all us. Mm-hmm. All right? So I said, okay, knowing all of that, let's highlight businesses in the black community that people don't really know about. And many people to me, like, Kevin, why do you want to do black businesses? You know, people whisper to me, like, what were you? Like, it's, it's almost a taboo to celebrate black businesses. Like, why? You know, I'm not a racist or anything, but like, why can't we highlight black business? And how has it been for you thus far? Oh, lovely. Lovely. I mean, okay, it hasn't made, I wouldn't say it's been like a commercial success directly, Caribbean Power Lunch, but networks I made. Look, Dano, you just came across here with these fancy microphones and these stands, you know. I don't if I was known for Kevin Paul Lodge, you would have cared who Kevin Valley is. You know who Kevin Valley was, you know? True. So he made a easy network again right. of entrepreneurs and stuff, possible leads for business. I was just in St. Lucia for business. I was able to talk to somebody who I interviewed, big up to ranking all the time. Right. <laughs> you know, so like I told you, I grew up shy. Right. All right. Because of this, doing this every week, I've become comfortable as a speaker. 
friends have invited me to host their wedding or they've asked me to host their wedding. Mm. I mean, maybe it's to save some money. <laughs> <laughs> which is a financially wise thing to do. Right, which is fine, which is fine. But I enjoy doing it, right? right. I um, recently hosted my dad's foundation event. Mm-hmm. Killed it. And what the best part for me hosting that event is seeing my older siblings watch me like, wow. Like, Kevin, you're damn good MC. But it's like, surprising. Because like, to them, growing up, he was that same shy little boy around the table not saying anything. Mm-hmm. I guess the best part is the growth. Like, the, the personal growth, the network growth. And then, you know, from that, by doing that, I was able to, you know, start a business that was eventually became the owner of Caribbean Power Lunch called Become Investable. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's been going great so far. I mean, we, me, the team, we've been working feverishly on, on some products. So, in terms of the people that you've spoken to during the episodes, are there any takeaways that you can share that would have probably stuck with you? Anything that you think would add value to whoever is listening to this right now? Because people always wonder, hey, boy. I'm scared of starting my own business, boy. What to do, boy? Mm-hmm. Know the answers? Start. Start. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hardest part, you know, Dano? Yeah. The hardest part is to start. Because yeah. you will plan and you'll have a brilliant plan. You'll have all the numbers down. you have the words down. But then you never start. And then what? It's just an idea. Then you, you see somebody else doing it. And a probably not half as good as you planned it. And they're like, mm, I could have done a better job. But no, you, you didn't do any job. Mm-hmm. You know, you've done nothing. <laughs> so start. Another takeaway. I think there's value in um, getting your feet wet in, on the side instead of saying you go all in. Right. Yeah, I think there's value in doing that. You get to see if you can do it. And also, like, if you have something on the side, for me, right? So I have a day job and I right. have something on the, on the side that I really enjoy. I think it adds value to my day job. So I go to my day job and I'm fired up because I am, yeah, man, I have my passion across the end. I mean, I'm also passionate about my day job. I think that's a, an important point because we've been conditioned to look at things from the point of view. This is success. This is not. And... For not everybody wants to be a millionaire. I believe yeah. more so everybody would like to be comfortable. Right. So whether that comfort could come from a hundred thousand or a hundred million, I think there's some space in, inside of there for everybody to find their own groove now. All right, so you say not everybody wants to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, I like to ask questions. I have to ask a question. <laughs> no, no, <Dan>. problem. <laughs> no problem at all. Okay. So you have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. You also do big box of crayons on mm-hmm. the side, right? What is that like for you? And what does success look like for you? Success for me is being comfortable. That's why I guess I was saying that. For me, comfort is being able to make sure that my family is, is good. Right. And by good, I mean we have a roof over our head. We have food to eat. If I feel like we want to go out, we want to go to the movies, we want to go and eat something outside, we could do that. If occasionally we want to travel and it doesn't have to be every year, I'm able to do that. Wow. Okay. So for me, that is comfortable. That is success for me. And I'm also now unlearning that same construct of you need this to be 
successful mm-hmm. and making sure that I identify what is success for me. Okay. So would you say you're uncomfortable now? I won't say that now. I think I'm at a place that I am comfortable. I'm not like really comfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, I could survive. I could wake up in the morning. I could put gas in the car. Right. Get to work. Come back. Because you have some really expensive uh, microphones here. So I, I say this man real comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> this is lots and lots of, of hard work. And for me, I came up with the notion that you can do whatever you put your mind to. So that's the way that I would approach it. I'm not like the best creative person in the world. I'm not probably the most adept at finance. So things like that is what I like had to make a thing being. And again, and we talked about being self-aware. Right. Becoming self-aware and obviously it comes with time. Yeah, it's a challenge. And you know it's what it works for me as well. Like this year in particular, I told to people and people always say, Kevin, you, you become so vulnerable. Like you're so open and you're so authentic. And what caused that is coaching. Mm. At the beginning of the year, I interviewed Shelly Ann Gachada. She coaches people on finding their purpose and career and all of that, right? And I was talking to her, like after we finished recording, and we did this visualization exercise, which I think, I think she hypnotized me. I think she hypnotized me, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, they just exposed parts of me I didn't even know existed, but they were just lying there in my subconscious. And, and when I... When I came out of the trance, it's like everything became so clear. And other than that, the office, they hired a leadership coach for me, mm-hmm. right? And talking to her, and I'll big her up, Maxine Atong, anybody need leadership coach and you check out Maxine Atong, she's one of the best. You know, she, it's like coaching holds up a mirror to you and shows you, hey, Kevin, this is where you are. This is you. And if you just think of things in this perspective, to the sky, it could be there. I love coaching. Oh, so you get to talk about yourself for an hour and the other person's job is just to listen and help you. I, like, you know, I don't often get to talk to myself about somebody and they just have to listen. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that has anything, you being like so keyed on, on that, do you think it cartons back to that desire to want to be a psychologist? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the interview show and everything. Yeah, that is me just loving to understand people and but the, the bigger thing about the show is telling people stories. I think no matter what it is, Jed, you need to tell somebody stories. Otherwise, it's just it's just a bunch of words. It's just a bunch of data that's going to be forgotten. Yeah, but stories stick, you know, a nice unexpected story. You know, it starts off like, whoa, like I didn't know that person went through that. You know, when you tell somebody stories, like even when you want to, you want to sell something. So you asked me about, about selling and negotiating stories. So... When I go to a pitch, let's say on behalf of my company, I always tell them the, the origin story of the company. If I go to pitch, become investor, I tell them the origin story. Because when you tell somebody a story, they feel like they're part of your story with you. It's like, wow. I mean, and this is, again, part reason for doing Big Box of Crayons. It's being able to document and share the stories of Trayvon to be able to create mm-hmm. Yeah, because I would offer that if you were to try and look for any creative person that big or small or whatever, 
Um, you do a Google search. Now there's practically nothing yeah. of relevance that could help you learn about that person. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they were interviewed before. For, right. And that's like, it's almost probably just about like one particular part of their life or that type of thing. And there's nothing in depth. There's nothing where you can say, okay, yeah, his contribution, this is where he started and everything like tied up nice and neat in a bow without you having to be bouncing from pillar to post. Right, right. Yeah. So hence what we do is trying to kind of like fill that gap. Right. That, you know, you saw when you were thinking about, oh, nobody's talking about black business. Yeah. It's exactly that. It's really like weakness. Like, wait, no. So wait, people don't know that, you know, they have black businesses too. That black, I guess it's because of the industry. I mean, I, I see, I see some of them and, right. you know, I'm friends with some of them and everything. But it means like, you have great stories to tell too that the world will want to hear. I have, we have listeners in Australia. Um, we have listeners in Spain, in Europe, Philippines, all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that people who listen repeatedly. People want to hear what's going on here. What are your thoughts on the creative industry in Trinidad and Tobago? I think the creative industry in Trinidad and Tobago has the world of potential. You have so much talent around here, Dano. Mm-hmm. You have so much talent, but what they need is guidance. See, people think, and I see it all the time, people think, hey, I want to build my brand, I want to build my portfolio. You need to think like a business. You have to think beyond a brand and think like a business. So there's so many more aspects of what you need to do. You need to be thinking about, okay, what are my numbers looking like? What's my marketing? Is this adding value? Who is in my relationship? What am I putting out? Who am I targeting? There's so many different facets. But when it comes to raw talent, pound for pound, we we closer to anybody in the world. Give me some advice that I think I need to do to make a big box of crayons viable as a business. Okay, so you say you started Big Box of Crayons because you want to tell the story of creators in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Did you find like you weren't hearing enough stories? Like, why did you do that? So it started because being able to travel to go to conferences in the US, creative conferences, and seeing one, the community together, mm-hmm. right? And within that community, being able to learn from each other. So for me, that is, wasn't as prevalent in Trinidad and Tobago. Right. And doing Big Box of Friends, we've realized there are pockets, everybody in their own little pocket. So if you don't know about that thing, we wouldn't experience it. You can't gain anything from it. Right. Right. So for me, starting a big box of crayons is able to tap into all the little pockets and see how much I can or we can rather connect these pockets together. So we then become like a hub. So things flow in, flow out. Hey, oh, I'm looking for a musician to do this thing. Blah, blah. Oh, I'll talk to this guy. All right. So what do you want big box of crayons to be known for? What is your pitch? My pitch is to, I would say, build a repository. That one place that anybody in the world could tap into and understand what the creative landscape of Trinidad and Tobago is. Okay, so you want to be like the go-to hub for everything 
creative in Trinidad and Tobago, yeah. specific to Trinidad and Tobago. All right, perfect. Okay. Are you looking to publish anything like that? Are you looking to author a book? I mean, I know you, you got the podcast, which is a great start, but mm-hmm. do you have anything physical that you, you want to put in people's hands? Actually had on and started a coffee table book. Okay. Based on the, what we do. So we have acquired already a batch of ISBN numbers. Already, so that's I think it's ten. So we're gonna do like a volume. All right. So you know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You again, right? To publish yourself, so more people will be you'll be more known and everything. And I'm sure you're gonna go around and do some more interviews and everything. Where people will actually interview you. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about partnerships? Again, I was talking about relationships earlier, right? Yep, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I'm always on the lookout for collaboration. I think that's like very important because. We can't get to any place without somebody else's input. Right. I mean, just by nature of being a human, you didn't get here but on your own. So some there was some input by one or two other people. Right, right. So collaboration is very important. So we are always open to looking for for those opportunities. Okay. And what are you doing to build your profile? Not enough having a day job. It takes away some of the time I would probably spend on building a, a bigger profile. And my thinking on it right now is, do I really want to expend building a profile and have nothing to offer? All right, so your day job is in the creative industry, right? Yes, it is, yes. All right, so I mean, if you are that guy... Mm-hmm. In your job that people know, like, and trust, that people have confidence in, say, hey, boy, you know, anything you give to Dano is like a gold standard you're putting right there. It's like, yeah, just make sure Dano touched that before we send it out. Mm-hmm. So by the time you do that, and then you write it, so, oh, yeah, but you know, by the way, I have this big box of crayons thing. It's like, oh, you doing that? For sure, that'll be good. Profile. Mm. All right. What about your products, Dano? I mean, obviously, the low hanging fruit t shirts. That type of merch. No, but, no, but you need like unique products, right? So t-shirts are good. Right. That's good as a gift, I guess. Yeah. I haven't, I guess, figured out what that unique product is. And it's like you were saying, right? We have a plan. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like a roadmap, services, right. and all of that type of thing. Um, but it's not settled in my spirit yet, I guess. My fear is turning this into a job will kind of take the, the fire out of what I'm doing or what we're doing. So you want to implement a system, mm-hmm. right? So you want a product that will, that will be able to sell without you being there, right? I understand you guys do some branding kits for people. Yeah, yeah, we do occasionally. It's not something that we advertise Okay. for that thing. Again, having that pressure of well, we have to please this thing but it's all part of the plan but again like I said it's not something that I'm totally comfortable with yet okay so I'm about to give you free advice sure and the listeners if this applies to you this will be free advice for you too so you have these skills 
of being able to develop websites and to code and all of these things, right? So how about you take those skills and you apply it to the same problem. So maybe you create a user-friendly branding kit that other people could use or you automate the hub of creators. So you, you build a network of creators, you direct them to your website and you almost use that as a social network. And then you, you could find a way to monetize that network and then it just becomes passive and you could lie down. You could come and drink in the cabin. Meanwhile, your PayPal is just getting cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. How's that sound? That sounds like a brilliant plan. Yeah. It's something, again, like I say, it's things that we've talked about, we've worked out. But I guess I still have to come to that self part of it to be say, okay, I'm comfortable doing this. And I think this is work. I'm all about passive income. Right. Because obviously that's the way, that's the way to go. But yeah, I mean, it's something so to think, think about. When you're designing things, just think in terms of systems and structure more than just your individual effort, right? So try to build something instead of do something. You get me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's my advice. Right. <laughs> How important is that in terms of growth? And you're using those terms, I guess you're talking in terms of scale. Right, exactly. By being able to scale. So can you walk me through what that is? If I'm selling ice cream on the corner, I really like my ice cream. I have a real bad peanut. So are you personally selling your ice cream? Or do you have an Somebody, employee selling your ice cream that you created your recipe for? Well, I don't know. I mean, I start off making it home. Right. And I want to get it out there. Advise me on how I could do that. Okay, you start off making it at home. So you have your own proprietary recipe. Right, yeah. Right, so get with the IP lawyer. You may know one. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be on. (laughs) Get with the IP lawyer. Make sure and is it patent a recipe or do you trademark a recipe? Anyway, Dion would know. Right. (laughs) Right, so you you protect that recipe. Mm -hmm. Then you go ahead and you partner with the manufacturer and say, hey, I have this recipe for this ice cream that everybody wants. Everybody who listens to Caribbean Power Lunch running down this ice cream. So you give them your recipe, you know, maybe patent, and you get them to make it and you hire people to sell it at various points where it have dense populations. So you go to Diego Martin, you go to your port of Spain, you maybe go outside one rubber place, you know, you say you focus on Trinidad and Tobago, you, you go to Gulf City Mall and everything and you have people selling that, that proprietary ice cream, that honey hazelnut ice cream that Dano made. Mm-hmm. All right, Kevin. So I want to ask you this. What does Kevin want to be most remembered for? See, I have three pillars. It's about quality, impact, and professionalism. My late father, he had a saying that life is a loan that you repay through your service to others. I want to be able to make a valuable impact on other people's lives. I Like my main mantra and how I was able to get over that fear of public speaking is like saying, Kevin... It is not about you. It is about your audience. So like right now, you're interviewing me, but it's not about it's not about me. It's about what will add value to Dano's audience? What will add value to Dano? You know, can I give Dano something to take away this evening? Or am I just going to waste his time and his expensive equipment? So it's not about you. It's about how can you create an impact on somebody else's life? A positive impact, please. Okay, you mentioned three pillars. Mm-hmm. So impact was one. Yes, quality and quality, professionalism. Right. Talk to me about quality. How important is that for you? That's another one my dad says. 
anything you do, do it to the best of your ability. You don't care if you're moving the lawn or you're polishing his shoes, do it to the best of your abilities. Why would you do something half-assed for what? Mm-hmm. It seemed that your dad had a, a very strong influence. How was your relationship with him? And give me the, the essence of the man in his remembrance. Again, he was a politician, so um, he was always very busy, you know, worrying about the country. He would come home late at night and then somebody would come and deliver a huge briefcase for him to go over. So he'd be up in the night going over and then in the morning he'd get up on his suit and go to parliament and everything. And, you know, he'll take the licks from, from the population or whatever it is. To me, it was a very volatile career and it was an attractive career for me. But what's most important that, that somebody like that leaves is the legacy. And... I mean, something I personally try to fight because I want to build my own name, my own legacy, right? Mm-hmm. I want my children to be known as Kevin Valley's children. But at the same time, I've come to realize it'll be disrespectful of me to not acknowledge that, hey, Ken Valley opened doors for me. I mean, I have to accept that. Yeah, yeah Ken Valley yeah. opened doors for me. Like right. the other day, I went, to, I went to some lineman, some, um, some businessmen, some high net worth guys, and they didn't know me at first, right? And I said, oh, hey, Kevin Valley, say, like, you know, Ken is your father. Say, so no more, you know, and it's just like that. You just get that automatic acceptance. And to me, I have mixed feelings about this. And I tell people, right? I have mixed feelings about it because, so what if I wasn't Ken Valley's son? Like, why should I be treated differently, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I am. And after, I know, hey, he worked hard because he grew up poor, right? My dad grew up in abject poverty, you know, barefoots and all of that. He didn't go to secondary school either. You know, he was able to kind of pull himself out of that grind and make himself into what he was, you know? So for me, it's like being second generation. You know, we had things a lot easier. So when I find like things are hard, it's like, hey, Kevin, it's not as hard. So stop whining, stop complaining. It could be worse. Yeah, I was just about to ask about if him growing up like that, being able to say, here, look everything. Never, never listen. If you're not in school, it's because you have a job. You know, there's never this kind of, yeah, Kevin, let's take your holidays and sit down home and relax. No, no. I think I had a, a job every holidays. When I was 13, I had my first summer job. Even after my first year at UE, I now finished studying hard. It's because I got to do an internship in the bank. After I graduated, I got up. The bank called me like the day after. It's like, hey, you come, you're here, you finished school. So come back, you know? I mean, I guess that's a blessing and a curse in his, at the same time because it's, it's like I've never really experience unemployment per se but yeah I never had that silver spoon mm-hmm. you know and many people would think you do mm-hmm. you know but no I, I didn't you know I had to work real hard yeah. <laughs> it's real pain <laughs> <laughs> I hear that I hear that so Kevin I'm gonna throw you a curveball now yeah right if you were crayon what would your color be it could be two mm-hmm and this is why I chose the colors of Caribbean Power Lunch and become a vegetable. So Caribbean Power Lunch is a bright orange because orange has that kind of, it's like a, I don't want to say a wild card, but it has personality. It has spunk. It could blend in with the business, but it could also lime in a, in a party and everything like that, right? So it's, it's more multidimensional. And then there's the bright blue. The bright blue it has that, that warm, trusting side that you associate with business. But because it's bright and bold and strong, it shows that, hey, I could stand on my own without any kind of flair. So 
I like both of those colors. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for your time. Again, it's been a fascinating conversation. I truly enjoyed it, right? So can you tell the audience where they can find you, find the podcast, anything else you want to share? Yeah, I'm Kevin Valley on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. There's Caribbean Power Lunch on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And there's Become Investable, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Caribbean Power Lunch is also on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. Nice. All of those things will be in the show notes. So, Kevin Valley, thank you very much. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Dano. You still have to do an interview on Caribbean Power Lunch. I don't For feel sure. like it because I have to get your questions. You have the hook in it. For sure. All right. So, thank you, listeners. We truly appreciate your time. And remember, we are all the same in the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful.